What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Sunshine State Takes. Today is a big day because it's game day. Well, the, when you guys listen, it will be game day for the Jacksonville Jaguars playing the Miami Dolphins. But before we get into that today, we're going to you know recap week two action from some of the biggest teams around the league, as well as talk about some of the teams we've had some frustrations with because we were high on them before the year and they've underperformed. So, you know, we have a good show today and I'm, I'm excited to be back. You know, we had to take a break last week because of some uh, really just our busy schedules with school and things like that. So um, I'm happy to be back. What about you, Matt? How you feeling? Yeah, man. Uh, we're going to recap some week two. Very, very eventful week. Some good games, a lot of injuries, a lot of things going down. So we're going to talk about that. And like you said, um, you know, it's a Wednesday night here at Sunshine State Takes for us. We're getting in a late episode, but by the time you guys listen, it'll hopefully be tomorrow morning and game day for the Jaguars, like Brandon said. So it's good to be here and be back on the schedule. School's been kicking my butt recently, but you know, I mean, every time I get to get on this podcast and talk sports, you know, I kind of just put everything else aside for a bit and just focus on uh, you know, what we have to cover here. So it's all, it's always a good feeling to uh, get on the show and I'm looking forward to yet another episode. Me as well. Without further ado, I'd say let's, uh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. We got a lot to discuss. So absolutely. So like I said, uh, Wednesday night here at Sunshine State Takes. Welcome in, everyone. And like I also said, hopefully by the time you guys are listening, it'll be uh, Thursday morning. We are here. We are ready to recap some Week 2 action. And also, like we said, look forward to that Jags-Dolphins Thursday night matchup, which we are very excited for. We will be at the game. We'll be there to see it live. We will hopefully see the Jags put the Dolphins into the dirt with this new look Jags offense we've been seeing it's it's been pretty fun uh you know if you're a Jags fan you have a lot to be excited about but we'll get into that in a second we're going to start with what we usually start with on this show Brandon what's on your mind well as we discussed before getting onto the podcast today we kind of have a joint what's on your mind and yeah. I, I you know mentioned it during my intro and it's just before the season obviously we came in with having some teams that we were feeling as if all right, this is their year. Maybe they can make a jump. In the NFC North specifically with the teams that we're talking about, the Minnesota Vikings and the Detroit Lions, two teams that Matt and I have been huge on throughout this offseason, have both started very poorly and are sitting at 0-2 on the year. And Matt, what's gone wrong, especially with your Lions? Yeah, well, for either teams, you just can't really ask – you know, for a, a worse start, you know, we were here previewing these NFC North teams and we, you know, we kind of also have to apologize to the Bears and Packers a bit because right now the NFC North is a bit flipped from how we thought it would go. Absolutely. And we look we, we, we look at that, uh, you know, 
that week one specifically, uh, we were over here saying that the Vikings will put the Packers in the dirt. Maybe it'd be a close game, but we don't think the Packers have a lot offensively. And the Packers come out and they hang 43 points. And the Vikings put up 34, but they didn't really get going till late. It was uh, a, you know. yeah, it, it was a yeah. slight 34. It wasn't a, right. you know. Right. So, it, you know, 43 to 34 was the score of that one. But, you know, the, uh, the game wasn't as close as the score indicates. The Vikings didn't really look good. Aaron Rodgers came out and carved them up on defense. And then the Vikings come out the next week and only put up a putrid 11 points and a 17-point loss to the Colts. Kirk Cousins came out and threw three picks. So it's really just a matter of both sides of the football for the Vikings. I know you asked about the Lions. I'm going to get into them in a second. But, uh, you know, the, the Vikings just really have not looked anywhere near what we thought they would. And as for the Lions, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because they were up 23-6 to six in week one. Uh, and, you know, they were looking solid. Um, and, you know, they did what a Matt Patricia-led Lions team has been known to do, and they squashed that lead. You know, you look at week one of last year, they were up 24-6 to six in Arizona. Arizona ended up coming back. That game finished in a tie. This year, Chicago comes back. Chicago ends up winning the game. And to kind of put the icing on the cake of just how putrid that opener was for the Lions, DeAndre Swift dropped the game. He had it in his hand. Stafford threw the game-winning touchdown to him. And in his first game as an NFL player, Swift drops what would have been a game-winning touchdown. And then the Lions come out the next week and suffer kind of the same fate that the Vikings did in week one. And that was get pushed around by, you know, really another masterclass performance from Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. And that, you know, what is to this point been a very surprisingly good Packers offense. So uh, I don't know if you have anything that you want to include about where you think things are going wrong. I know you were texting me on Sunday about Dalvin Cook. I'm sure you're going to have some stuff to say about that, but it really just hasn't looked good for other team. I was really big on this Lions defense. A lot of veteran guys from the Patriots coming over, and they come out and they blow a fourth quarter lead in week one, give up 42 points the next week, and they just haven't looked to this point at all how I thought they would, and that offense has struggled a bit too. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm so disappointed with the Minnesota Vikings right now. And yeah, you know, as I know, um, I, I, I I'd be checking in with these scores of these Vikings games and I'm feeling for you. I'm like, oh, man, but I, I can imagine you're, you uh, are doing the same thing when you look at the Lions scores. Yeah, no, it's just, just not going good for either of us. It's just so frustrating because, you know, you have a talented team that we looked at in our NFC North preview. If you guys want to hear more about what I thought was the line or what the Vikings were going to be able to bring to the table this season, you can go check that episode out. But, you know, they're coming into the year with a guy in Dalvin Cook that they had just signed to a contract extension. They just did it in this offseason. Yet he's only touched the ball 26 times through two games. That's that's what Zeke's getting in one week. Why are we not feeding the ball to the best player on the field most of the time? You know what I mean? I, I just I can't even start to fathom where the offensive play calling is coming from, for Dalvin Cook to only have a combined 113 yards through two weeks. He's averaging 4.3 yards per carry. It's not like the production isn't there. It's the fact that they're not giving him the football, even though he has always been, since he arriving into the league, the player that the Vikings, th- their offense thrives through him. Right. It, it should run through Cook because he is so dynamic. It's the exact thing. They're doing the exact thing that got an offensive coordinator fired a few seasons ago because he wasn't running the football. John yep. Filippo a few years ago, refused to run the football, got fired, and now they have a guy in there right now in Gary Kubiak who once again refuses to run the football. And Kirk Cousins 
is just not putting up good numbers. I think he's regressed. He's played terribly. So, overall, we're having a guy in Dalvin Cook who's not getting the touches he needs and a guy in Kirk Cousins who's not allowed, you know, he's not getting Dalvin Cook. So, when Dalvin Cook gets going, that gets Kirk Cousins going because it opens up the pass game. Right now, we're we're seeing defenses kind of not worry about Dalvin Cook getting the ball and playing, keying in on Kirk Cousins, a quarterback who, while I think had a chance to take a step this season, has always been middle of the pack. Maybe last year we could have put him in maybe the top 15. Um, But it's just, it's, it's, I can't start to understand the reasoning behind giving a guy in Dalvin Cook who, they just signed to a contract extension. And a guy that had yep. 1,135 yards last season, the ball only on an average of 13 times per game. That makes no sense. Right. And my thing is you look at you look at the weapons that Kirk Cousins is throwing to, and you uh, you still have Adam Thielen, but you, you lose Stephon Diggs. And, yes, you bring in Justin Jefferson, but there's development that has to go on there. Yeah. And yeah. Kyle Rudolph continues to get older. So it, it's set up for Dalvin Cook to be the focal point and the star of this offense, yet we just haven't seen that through these first two weeks. So I don't know if it's an issue if they're trying to figure the offense out. Maybe they're focusing too much on trying to force feed this revamped receiving core. But either way, they're going to have to find a middle point because I feel like this Vikings team is at its best when it's balanced or, you know, leaning more towards the run. Uh, You know, Kirk Cousins is a guy who can perform well, but, you know, he's a bit more. I always I feel that Kirk Cousins is a bit more in the game manager category than he is in the star quarterback category. I agree. You know, he can definitely make he can make some big time throws and he could take over a game certainly. But um, you know, it's kind of got to be given to him. You know, you have to open up those possibilities for Kirk, and that has to be done through the run game and with Dalvin Cook. And you just haven't really seen that to this point. So, and yeah. you know, it's not like it's not like the Colts' defense is beaters. We saw the Jags' offense put up twenty seven points on them in Week One, and you know. The, the Vikings definitely have the advantage over the Jags offense, especially at the running back position. And Adam Thielen's a proven veteran. And, uh, you know, I, I, at this point, I don't really know where Minshew ranks above Kirk Cousins or, you know, how you want to put that. But, you know, the, the Vikings definitely have some proven pieces on this offense and, you know, could arguably be a better offense than the Jags on paper. You'd think they could put up more than 11 points on, uh, you know, the same defense the Jags put up. 27 on yeah uh, but instead the vikings came out and they fell completely flat yeah no and you're looking at a indianapolis like you said that just played the jacksonville jaguars a team that many were considering being one in 15 if not oh in 16 this season yet we've seen the jaguars put together two solid performances against divisional opponents meanwhile the minnesota vikings can't get it together against anyone they play yeah. Week one, week so. one against Green Bay. Week two against Indy, and we're yep. we have Dalvin Cook touching the ball twenty nine times. This dude needs to be up in the forties through two games right. at least. Right, it's ridiculous, and I think right. that I think there needs to be a change made, and it definitely needs to be towards making a focal point out of using the running game because I think yep. it's important for this Minnesota team to if they don't want to go fifty fifty. Or well, if they don't want to go more than 50-50, I think they should at least have to go. Well, overall, I think they should at least have to go fifty-five forty-five in terms of they should have to pass the ball fifty-five percent of the time. They should have to run the ball forty-five percent of the time. But we need to see them. We we need to see them. I would like to see them go further. I think fifty-five forty-five is the ideal number. I think we need to see more of a sixty-forty in, in favor of the run right. for this Vikings team to be 
the team that I expected them to be. Really, I, I don't think you had any doubt that they were going to be good. Obviously, you didn't have them as good as I had them, but th- this right. is a, they should be first in this division no matter what. And, and it's they sad should. that right now they sit yeah. in last place. Uh, yeah, last place. Like even Detroit uh, is doing better than them right now in terms of right. And so we uh, just taking a look ahead at the schedule doesn't get easier for our our NFC North teams either. Vikings are taking on the Titans and the Lions are taking on the Cardinals. Who the Cardinals, man, they've looked really good to this point. So uh, I know that's a game I picked Detroit to win. I don't know at this point. Kyler's looked really good. Uh, you know, same thing with the Vikings and Titans. Who knows because the Titans, you know. And it's not the, the interesting with the Titans is it's not even been the running game. T- Tannehill has been throwing the ball very yeah. well. Yeah. So, you know, not the Titans are, you know, exceeding expectations, but not in the way you think they would. So at this point, now the Titans have become a bit unpredictable. Is Derrick Henry going to come out and beat you or is Ryan Tannehill going to come out and beat you? It's going to be, a uh, you know, a tall asking order for the Vikings this week, along with the lions, they're going to have to take down to what has been to this point, a pretty electric and dynamic offense that the Cardinals have put out on the field. So um, it's, it's looking tough for both of our teams. They're going to have to get it together fast, but Oh, and three starts are that, de- you know, it's not out of the picture and that, you know, that's scary. Uh, yeah. Just think about how, how uh, it's a rarity that teams that start off. Oh, and two even turn it around and make the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, think about 0-3, how, how many times that's happened. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of a time it's happened. Yeah, it, it, there is a serious problem going on in both Detroit and Minnesota. Um, and there changes, there needs to be fixtures. I think you need right. to, in you know, Detroit, just let Matthew Stafford be Matthew Stafford. Right, let him in, throw. In Minnesota, let throw. just let Dalvin Cook be Dalvin Cook. And everything right. will fall, everything else will fall into place. Yeah. I think, you know, we rely, at least in Minnesota, they rely too much on trying to get Kirk Cousins in a rhythm to then give it to Dalvin Cook and guys like that. Kirk Cousins is not going to be the quarterback that takes his offense down the field and scores touchdowns left after right. I'm sorry. He's right. not. He's just not. It's not going to happen. He needs Dalvin Cook to open up the game so that he can hit his weapons of Adam yep. Thielen and Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph and Justin Jefferson. He has the pieces. Yeah, he just they, they need to go through Dalvin Cook. And if they don't do that, Minnesota can find themselves 8-8 eight and eight now in the playoffs. Yeah, oh, I Because uh, the way they're playing right now, it looks like they do not look like a team that is a year removed from taking down the New Orleans Saints in the oh, Superdome. Yeah. It, it's just it yep. doesn't look like that at all. And it, yeah, it's... And- it's depressing because this is a team that should be atop the league in terms of right. the talent on the roster. Right. And yeah, no, especially with that week one game, just seeing them right away, give up 43 points. It was like, wow, like on it completely unexpected from that Vikings defense. Um, I, I guess it's not totally unexpected that Rogers came out and did that, but man, just, you know, considering the, the weapons that's around Rogers, you just, we said it on the show. It's not something that we thought was going to happen. And in back-to-back weeks, they've done it to both of our teams. They put up yeah. 43 on the Vikings and then 42 on the Lions. It hasn't looked good for either team. And uh, the Lions are up 14 to three in that game. So I was yeah. thinking, you know, I was thinking like, okay, you know, they blew this game to Chicago. They really should have won. Swift dropped the ball, but it looks like they're bouncing back this week. And then Aaron Jones starts running wild and, Rodgers does his thing. Next thing you know, the Lions are down 34 to 14 playing catch up, and that's not going to happen. When you go down 20, 20 to Aaron Rodgers, you got no shot at winning that game because 
Um, you know, it, it looks like at least off of these first two games, uh, the Packers are not going to be taking their foot off the gas at all in any of these uh, uh, big leagues. You know, they're going to but they're going to stick to what uh, what it seems here, and that's uh, on the offensive side of the football compared to last year where you saw their defense kind of squeeze out a lot of close games. Um, you know, this team has just kept it pumping, and they've been building big leads, and Rodgers has been going crazy, and it's a tough team to beat. And, uh, you know, he's stuck it to both of our NFC North teams. So uh, there's got to be something here uh, that they that both of our teams can do to turn it around. But especially on the Lions side, if, if they don't get it figured out, then you're going to see Patricia gone soon. He might not even survive the season. Uh, you know, especially because, you know, two weeks in a row, they've squandered double-digit leads. Granted, uh, you know, they were only up 14-3 in the first quarter, and the Packers, uh, you know, dominated the rest of three quarters. But that week one, that was a fourth-quarter blown lead. That shouldn't happen. That yeah. shouldn't happen, and especially with an improved team. You brought in a lot of Patriots veterans to come play for their former defensive coordinator. You can imagine there would at least be some kind of chemistry that at the very least would automatically create for some improvement that appeared to not be the case. So I don't know where it is with the Lions. I thought looking at this roster that they had it, they, they had the pieces to put together a good team, had the pieces in the running game. Obviously, kind of Kenny Galladay's injury has a bit to do with that. And, you know, when can we see him back on the field? But it's not looking good. It's not looking good at all. Absolutely not. So. And, you know, you mentioned how it can be difficult to come back from a 20-point deficit, you know. and Yeah. But it's it, it really just in the NFL, even if it's not a team like Rodgers, right. you know, a, a team that has yeah. a, the player the caliber of Rodgers. Um, but, yeah. you know, as, as we move on throughout the sh- like along through the show, if that's OK with you, uh, a yeah. team that actually almost put together a 20 point comeback was the Dallas Cowboys against the Atlanta Falcons. They did put it together. They did. And, well, yeah, that's what I don't they know. They did. They did. It they wasn't. Did it, was it? Yeah, it wasn't exactly twenty points. Wow. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it was just a spectacular uh, train of events that occurred in Dallas, and I, I think, uh, I think we should get into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this was probably your game of the week right here. Yeah. Um, I think the what we need to immediately get into um, is that onside kick. I mean. What's going on there? You you should know. I want to know who the special teams coordinator is for the Falcons. He should be gone. I don't know how he's not. The only guy who did a worse job than him this week was the Chargers team doctor. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you puncture your cute. But, you know, we're, we're going to get into that in a sec. We're going to get into that in a sec. You should know. You should know that if you are the kick, uh, the kick recovery team, that you don't have to wait for that ball to roll 10 yards to hop on it. Only only the kicking team has to. The kicking team can't touch the ball till it travels 10 yards or unless uh, uh, someone on the kick recovery team touches it before it goes 10 yards. Uh, instead, you see guys like Hayden. Hayden Hurst was someone I know for sure who was there. I couldn't really see the jerseys of the other guys. But you have four Falcons just sitting there watching that ball roll. And by the time it goes 10 yards, the Cowboys players hop on it and there's no chance that the Falcons recover it. And it's a shame because that that wiped away what was a pretty phenomenal Matt Ryan performance. He was 24-36 for 273 yards, four touchdowns, and 126.3 passer rating, 90.2 QBR. I mean, that that that's 2016 Matt Ryan MVP performance right there. He was dealing, especially I think he had three touchdowns in the first quarter. Um, and, you know, 
I was taught we were talking about it when we previewed this NFC South. The Falcons on offense were gonna do damage. They, you know, given what we've seen from the Bucks and and Saints, and obviously, you know, the Panthers aren't very good. The Falcons very well might have the best offense in this division right now. But what good is that if you're giving up up 40 when you're scoring 39? And your special teams is so bad that they don't even know that you can't recover an onside kick, uh, you know, before it travels 10 yards. You're, they're not going to win many games like this. And it, it, it's just a shame that um, the Falcons special teams squandered that that badly because this is the NFL. This isn't college. This isn't FCS Southern Missouri versus I don't know who. But, you know, you can't have mistakes like that at this level that, you know, it's pathetic that it happened. So I, I, I'm interested to hear your take on it because I couldn't believe that a professional team squandered that that poorly. I'm going to play devil's advocate just a little bit. And, you know, I'm just going to... So, obviously, I think that, as you said, the problem on the onside kick arises from what has been coached throughout the week. I think that's a 100% a a coaching mistake. That's a... there, There is something wrong with how the special teams coach taught that. But I don't think it comes from the idea that they think they can't touch the football until it goes past 10 yards. I think a lot of the time in special teams, we kind of look at the past and we look at, okay, let's see how you know some of these mistakes special on special teams, on onside kick per se, has played out. On most mm-hmm. occasions, when we see a special teams botch in that scenario, it's because a player, you know, on the receiving team is touching the ball before it goes past 10 yards, allowing right. that kick, uh, allowing that kick team to be able to recover it. And, you know, you kind of sit back and you think, what is he doing? Why is he touching the ball? If it's not 10 yards. Right. And the way that ball was spinning, I thought it was dead at about six yards. I think that thing made yep. it six yards. I was like, all right, game over. Here we go. But it kept spinning and spinning yep. and spinning. Oh, eight. Oh, it's nine yards. Oh, hit, hit. Oh, there they go. Got the ball. So I think that because of that delay, we saw a lot of Falcons players get pushed out of position by the Cowboys players. And it was less of a, oh, I can't touch it until it goes past 10 yards rather than a, oh, I don't want to be that idiot that tries to touch it, fumbles it, and then ends up for them being able to get the ball. And so, yes, but I want to say in that replay that, you know, like I mentioned Hayden Hurst. I know for a fact I saw Hayden Hurst in that clip. And I also know that he was standing fairly close to that ball and that ball was moving slow. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was slow enough to where I could walk up to it, grab it with my two hands and fall to the ground. And, yeah. you know, if I get my stomach on top of that ball, no one's tearing. I mean, you know, I'm a 180 pound kid that doesn't play football. You know, maybe one of those Cowboys players gets it away from me. But if I'm Hayden Hurst, I'm walking up to that ball, grabbing it with my two hands and falling to the ground and another professional player is not grip is not tearing it away from me. I have that ball. I just don't know. I see what you're saying. And I could certainly see how, you know, the spin of the ball and the speed of it and the Cowboys players pushing you out of position. I I can see that. But at the same time, I mean, you're up by two points. You, you gotta, you gotta put the game away. I mean, if you if you die for that ball and Dallas gets it, I feel like it's a so be it thing. You know, you major, but to just sit there and watch it, I don't know if I can get behind that. I, I really don't. I think that that was just piss poor special teams play. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say that what they did was right. I was just trying right. to point out the fact yeah. that I think that was a coaching that was the coach specifically saying if it doesn't go ten yards, do not touch it. 
And right. at that point, all right, oh yes, okay, coach. Like you know, yeah. they're not gonna do something that they think is you know against what the coach has said at that point. And so, was it a terrible botch mistake? Should someone have dove on it when it was spinning uncontrollably at the six yard line, literally, mm-hmm. or at six yards out from where he kicked it? And can we just get you know, like after all this happened, let's just get Greg Zerline. I want to go through his head. What in the world is he thinking to put the ball on the on the turf and just kick it like that? Like that yeah. I mean, did you see the way he kicked it? Yeah, it looks like he it was, put no effort into yeah, it. Yeah, it was on the <laughs> ground and he just kicked it to where it spun, you know, long ways. And I was just like, yeah. what is he doing? I thought it was the dumbest thing ever until it worked. You know, yeah. I think that's how it, it would have been looked at as terrible if it had stopped at that six, you know, like it would have stopped six yards past where he kicked it from. But anyways, I think, you know, it was just a terrible mis well not miscommunication. It was a terrible communication by the special teams coordinator to say it doesn't go ten yards, don't touch it. And I think that's where they got in trouble. Obviously, if the ball's just sitting there, which it kinda looked like it was, obviously it was spinning, but it was sitting there. You gotta dive on it, no matter what is happening. You have to be able to in some way go down and get it because if not, you're gonna see a lot, you know, you're gonna see exactly what happened, which is them recovering it and then Dallas going down for the same person who kicked that onside kick to put it through the uprights and win the ball game 40 to 39 after Matt Ryan had just thrown for four touchdowns on 273 yards and two of which to Calvin Ridley who had a heck of a game with seven receptions at 109 yards. Yep, absolutely. I mean, that Falcons offense top to bottom just you know they they looked really good, especially I I'm, you know, the more I watch him play, the more I really like Hayden Hurst. And he he made some phenomenal plays as well in this game. He had a touchdown. I think he was running wide open on his, and he took it into the end zone. I want to talk about Dak Prescott, though. Um, You know, just the perseverance of this Cowboys team to fight back and Dak Prescott putting up 450 yards, four total touchdowns, three on the ground. You know, that that, that's the type of we we talk a lot about. Is Dak going to get paid? What does Dak need to do to get paid when you're down 20 points? in your second game of the season in danger of falling to zero and two a 450 yards and four total touchdown performance is going to help you get that money that you're looking for. That that was a big time clutch performance by Dak Prescott. I thought, and you know, it it was in part of guys like CD lamb and Amari Cooper, six receptions each lamb had 106 yards. Cooper put up a hundred, 200 combined receiving yards from those two. Uh, You know, Michael Gallup had 58 catches. You know, Dak was really spreading the ball around. Uh, Dalton Schultz with nine catches and Blake Bell had some catches. Zeke had six catches um, to even Tony Pollard with a catch, Noah Brown. So he he was really, uh, you know, all these different guys getting involved in the passing game. Dak was spreading it around. It was really working for him. Zeke as well. They gave him the ball 22 times, 89 in rush yards and a touchdown. So, uh, you know. They, they struggled a bit in that first quarter with turnovers, and that's what allowed Atlanta to build that really big lead. But once Dallas got going on offense, you saw some ball distribution, and you saw Dak take some deep shots. I know specifically Amari Cooper had a really good one-handed catch on a 50-yard bomb that uh, you know helped Dallas get into scoring range on a drive. And you just saw some it, – it's almost like Dallas played – because you look at a game like this where you blow a, a big lead – it's it's usually the Falcons are kind of starting to take that title from the Cowboys. I feel like, you know, because you can think of all these games where the Cowboys have just blown big leads and Romo's choked and the Cowboys get made fun of for it. It, it almost, it almost felt kind of unreal to see the Cowboys on the winning side of one of these games. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did on Sunday. Yeah. I, I just, if you would have told me 
that a team went up 20 to nothing against a team that was without two starting linebackers, a few starting offensive linemen, uh, really a lot, you know, a lot of key pieces, and yeah. the team, you know, that was up 20 to nothing won the turnover battle, turnover battle, 3-0. Would you think you- that there is any chance that the Cowboys win this game? I wouldn't. Any I, chance. Like, literally I'll, on the thing, it's like point zero 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 one. Like, there's no way. And they did it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, this isn't a game I watched beginning to end. This is a game that, you know, I had on Red Zone that, while you know, I was watching, you know, just – I was in Tally I'm watching football with some of my buddies. We had a three-TV setup. We had the Bills on – we had the Bills game on one TV because one of the kids was a Bills fan. We had the Jags. And then we had Red Zone on the TV off to the side, and we'd see, like, oh, Atlanta's up 20 to nothing. Okay, they're going to win this game. Okay, they're up 26 to 10. So Dallas – you know, Dallas starting to fight back a bit. Okay, it's 39 to 30. Okay, it's 39 to 37. Dallas is going for an onside kick here. Okay, Dallas just got that onside kick. And then we see that field goal, and it's like, wow. Like, you know, and like I was just saying, very uncharacteristic of the Cowboys, considering that they've always been on the receiving end of these blown games and these chokes that just kind of make them the laughing stock of the league in a sense. Uh, you know, they kind of reverse that fortune a little bit. And, you know, honestly, good for them. Uh, because that, I, I feel I really do feel like they were screwed over in that week one game on that Michael Gallup offensive pass interference call. I think that was a great sell by Ramsey, but it was not offensive pass interference. That game should have gone to overtime or, or you know, maybe even Dallas scores a touchdown there and wins it in regulation. But either way, um, a shaky week one loss. It was good to see Dallas kind of overcome just all the struggles they have had through the first five quarters of the season and get a win on that board. Because, you know, we were talking about the uh, – the the Vikings and Lions and now the Falcons are in this situation too. Oh, and two teams just have such a struggle reversing fortune and making the playoffs. It it really would have been bad, especially in a make or break year for Dak if they had fallen to oh and two. I think this this game did just just did so much for the Cowboys outlook on their season and their confidence as a team. I'm curious to see where their season goes from here. Absolutely. And you know, you, you mentioned week one where you know Jalen Ramsey had the act job of being able to you know really get the penalty I don't 100% agree with obviously if that play goes differently they win but earlier on in the game we saw Jared Goff have a questionable uh rough in the pass or no call so yeah you know I think there were you know there were given takes in that game that you know if this was called this was called but at the end of the day it wasn't and you know but they did get a big win in week two against a team in Atlanta that went up big on them and now, you know, they – what? Aren't they playing Seattle next week? They got Seattle at 4 o'clock next yeah, week on the road. Which, so that's uh, a – We a, can use this to transition because, man, we got to talk about that Seahawks game Sunday night. Absolutely. Ooh. Dude, you read my against, mind You read my mind talking about that against, transition. That's how I was going to put it. Against the Patriots. Against the – yeah, we know, we know each other well. So <laughs> uh, we got that. So, yeah, pa- Patriots-Seahawks. Um, man, I – Wow, you know, what a game. What a game. What a, honestly, man, what a game. And, you know, right out of the – Gates right out of the gate it's Devin McCourty pick six now it wasn't it wasn't Wilson's fault it bounced off Greg Olson's hands right into McCourty's hands he takes it into the end zone Patriots are up seven nothing Wilson drives him down the field on the next drive throws a strike to Tyler Lockett and it's game on from there um you know obviously I'm a Patriots fan so I just want to talk a lot about what I saw in this game first off you know the defense our defense wasn't great 
But at the same time, you're going up against Russell Wilson, who can who has the ability to make any defense look bad on any given Sunday. That's what he did here. He was able to hit DK Metcalf deep over Stephon Gilmore. He was able to hit more deep over uh, John Jones, I think it was. And, um, you know, he hit Freddie Swain for a touchdown. And Russell Wilson was just firing on all cylinders. You even see the stat line, 21 of 28 for 288 yards, five touchdowns and a pick. And, you know, as a Patriots fan coming into this game, you just, I just wasn't really sure what to expect. I What I wanted coming into it was, you know, Seattle's one of the best teams in the league. They're my Super Bowl pick. So as a Patriots fan thing, okay, you know, we looked okay against Miami in week one. We would have won by more if Harry didn't fumble through the end zone. But overall, it was pretty conservative on offense. It seems like we were kind of just getting things figured out. And I was kind of just curious to see, you know, what we were going to do in this game. What were we going to do if we fell behind by a large amount? You know, I really just wanted this to be a close competitive game. I just wanted to see that the Patriots could play close with a good team with do look offense and that's exactly what they did even after seattle tied the game to make it seven to seven cam goes right down the field he throws a strike to Nikhil harry on a fourth and three takes it in goes up 14 seven and then russell wilson's able to hit metcalf to tie it right before the half and then um you know the patriots should have been up 17 14 at half but nick folk missed a field goal and then on the first drive of the second half cam comes out deal and he evades the sack uh jamal adams came in on a rush he evaded him hit edelman over the middle on a third and ten and then he hit Edelman on another deep, nice deep, uh, you know, sideline corner route that got him, uh, you know, on Se- into the Seattle territory. And then he had a screen pass to Burkhead and they were marching. They ended up with a field goal and then uh, Russell takes him down. They take the lead. And then uh, this is the vocal point of the game that I really want to talk about because down 21-17, Cam Newton throws a pick and Seattle turns into points. Russell, I believe that was the first Swain touched him that uh yeah russell wilson threw yeah. and now all, all of a sudden they're up 28 17 and th- this is really what i was looking forward to it was going to be okay the patriots are down now um you know are we i'm not really sure what this receiving core is looking like what can can how is cam's shoulder you know what what is josh mcdaniel's going to call in this offense you know we our, our offense didn't look great last year we struggled when we were down uh, a lot of these, you know, we were down a lot of these games last year. We were down double digits to Houston. We were down double digits to Baltimore. We were down double digits to Kansas City. And our offense couldn't get anything going. So down 28-17, Cam Newton on the first play of the drive throws an absolute strike, 55 yards in the air to Julian Edelman, who lays out for it. And me sitting on my couch, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, no way. No way that just happened. I wasn't sure what we were going to do. I wasn't sure if we were just going to come out conservative with a run to Michelle. No. McDaniels let Cam throw it. And, man, Cam's shoulder looked like there were no issues whatsoever. He absolutely slung that ball on a rope over Jamal Adams into Edelman's arms. The Patriots go down score, make it 28-23. to And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, okay. So we're not going to be conservative. We're not going to make these dumb play calls. We, You know? Seattle just went up big and, and we fought right back. And I, it, it made me really happy to see it because like I said, I, I wasn't sure where the trust was between Newton and these receivers. I wasn't sure where the trust was between the coaching staff and Newton. Well, I, don't, I wasn't sure what the play call was going to be there, but that, you know, in terms of my outlook for this season, that was a very big play for me. The fact that on the first play after falling down double digits, you trust your, your new quarterback in his second game to take a deep shot to a guy who rarely runs deep routes 
was, you know, that, that, that said a lot to me, that really said a lot to me. And, um, and then Seattle goes up 35 to 23. Newton down the field again, need a 35. Despite not punching it in on that last drive, I was very impressed with Cam Newton on that final drive. Um, he went to Nikhil Harry three times and he was able to bring in all of them. I was very impressed with the way Nikhil Harry played in this game. I was also very impressed with the way Demir Bird played in that game. I was talking about him a little bit. Um, you know, we weren't really sure how he was going to be, but he's a good speedster who some good out routes and some good comeback routes, and he was getting open. So Cam was really uh, – he, he was he was spreading the ball around to a lot of these unproven guys, and you kind of start to see some confidence build. You know, you see Cam Newton uh, – score a touchdown and Nikhil Harry runs right up with them to that, that, uh, that screen in the back of the end zone and they're doing some poses and stuff. And, you know, the, I, I'm talking a lot about this game, like the Patriots won. I know didn't win. It was just really hard for me to be upset about this game because like I said, Seattle is one of the best teams in the league to me. They're my Super Bowl pick and, and this new look Patriots offense. We weren't sure how good they were going to be. They looked a little conservative last week, despite the win. It was like, okay, good win. But you know, what's going to happen when Cam needs to throw the ball. And, you know, we, we learned on Sunday that when Cam gets put in positions where he has to throw the ball, he's going to be able to do it. He literally got the Patriots within one yard of pulling up a double digit fourth quarter comeback. And I'm not even upset with that play call because they put the ball in the hands of their best players. He just didn't get in. So be it. So be it. So I know I went on a little bit. I want to hear your takes on this game, but it's just, it was so hard for me to be upset with this game because I really feel like the Patriots said a lot about who they're going to be this year, despite losing. Yeah, no. And you mentioned how on the last play of the game, they kept the ball within their best players hands. And and that's Cam Newton. And I think that's so big. And I think that's lost on so many people. Because I heard so many others saying, why didn't they pass the football? Why didn't they let Cam roll out and try to throw into the end zone? The funny thing is, the team that they were playing against has been saying the exact opposite since the last time a goal line stand happened between these two teams. And so, you know, know, I, I just think that there's so much to look at, you know, as a Patriots fan and as an NFL fan and just say, wow, like Cam was spectacular. He, he was. was. I was blown. I was blown away. You know, he threw for 397 yards in that game. If he had, he, all he needed was three more yards, he would have been at 400. You know, when the last time Cam Newton threw for 400 yards in a game was mm, 2015, the second, the, the second game of his career oh, in wow. 2011. Wow. The first two games of his career, he threw for 400 yards in both games, and he hasn't reached that since. And that's can start with a new team did receiving core after being out for a year and a half because of a bum shoulder and you come out and throw for 397 yards i'm sorry but cam's gonna be a top five qb in the league this year i saw all i needed to see from him in that game he is he he's a man on a mission this year and the fact that he didn't get in on the end on that last play is just gonna add so much fire to him i'm really really excited i'm really excited no i think i think cam put together an impressive campaign on sunday I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. And I don't know, you know, how much of like Cam you've watched throughout his career. I I know you seem to be a a lot of big Cam. I know know you seem to be a pretty big Cam Newton guy, plus a big SEC guy. So you probably saw him a lot at Auburn. I don't think I've ever seen Cam Newton throw the ball better than he did on Sunday night. 
I think I think he looked the best he ever has throwing the football. I wouldn't say I mean he definitely looked like the Cam Newton we've seen before. He looked like the guy that went number one overall in the you know in, yeah. in the 2011 or 12, yeah 2011 draft. He he looked like the guy that we've looked at before and said that's an MVP. He plays like an MVP and you know. If you'd have told me before the game that someone was going to go 30 for 44 for 397 yards, I'd have said it's Russell. Because right. Cam's not throwing 30, Cam's not throwing 44 times and completing 44 of those. He's not getting there near that 400 mark. Obviously, Russell has the touchdown interception that you'd assume of a guy of Russell's caliber, but it was just, Cam was spectacular. Julian yeah. Edelman was all over the field. He had the, what, did, he had, what, his career high in yardage at yeah. 179 yards, and he's played with the yeah. best quarterback to ever step on this earth for his entire career. So I just think that yeah. there is uh, there is a lot of bright spots for this Patriots team despite yeah. the loss. And, you know, while Seattle definitely deserves the tip of the hat, I see. I think we saw more from New England in this game than we did from Seattle, yes. and that's saying something when you walk out with a loss. Right, and well, because here's my thing. I I even went on on Twitter and I replied to someone. I'm like, look, like you can argue that Cam Newton played better in this game than Russell Wilson did, and I know that's you know obviously you look at this, and I, but this is the thing. Don't just look at the stat line. Yeah, you're you're gonna see like. 21 to 28, 288 yards, five touchdowns and a pick. It's a remarkable stat line. And, and Wilson made some remarkable throws. But look, once that second half hit, the Seahawks were in control of this game the whole time. And the Patriots looked a little uncharacteristic on defense. And New, or Wilson was just taking advantage of what this, this Patriots defense was giving him. I mean, there were a few zero blitzes in there where Wilson was able to hit guys like Tyler Lockett running wide open because the one safety the Patriots had playing deep had to run all the way across the field to get to him. And just, you know, Chris Carson was wide open on one of those touchdowns and Freddie Swain was running wide open on one of them. I mean, it was really just a lot of, okay, this Patriots defense is giving me the yards. I'm going to take them. But for Cam Newton, it's I'm down double digits with this team I've never played with before. My receiving options are limited. I'm still going to go out here and chuck 50-yard balls to Julian Edelman, and I'm going to trust this unproven first-round draft pick wide receiver in the late drive of the game. And Newton did not look scared at all. I mean, I feel like if I had woken up from – if I had gone into a coma in 2017 and had had woken up and was watching this game, I I would have never even knew that Newton missed time. I mean, he that's just how good he looked. He was slinging it everywhere, and he was – he had two rushing touchdowns too. I mean, look – the reason I say Newton played better is because we saw what Russell did last week. He 31 to 35 for 300 something and four touchdowns. I mean, it, it, at this point it's expected from Russell Wilson to come out and do this. If, if, if anyone said that can't, like you said, if anyone said Cam was going to go out there and put the stat line that he did on Sunday night, you probably would have got called crazy. Yeah. But no, he, he went out and I know the, t- like the one touchdown he threw was a little, like one yard floater to Jakob Johnson and a you know, touchdown pass might have not been that impressive, but man, some of those, those, those throws he was making, I was just sitting there like, wow. And that's something, I mean, because considering how much Brady aged and how much Brady regressed and considering Br- how Brady looked last year, some of these throws that Newton was making, it's just as a Patriots fan, you didn't see any of that last year. 
You know, you, you didn't you didn't see Tom Brady make that big 40-yard pass down by double digits to get the Patriots back in. That's just not where Brady was with this receiving core last year. But now all of a sudden you have Newton coming out saying, I'm going to make Nikhil Harry a focal point of this offense. I'm going to throw the ball to Amir Bird. I'm going to get Edelman involved and worked. And, you know, if, if this chemistry continues to grow, then I see thir- I see the Patriots putting up 30 points routinely, especially with this Cam Newton running factor involved and, I I'm just I I loved what I saw Sunday and I'm not too worried about the defense because like I said it's expected that Russell's going to start putting up master classes weekly I mean I can only imagine what he's going to do to that Dallas defense and that the the defense is going to work itself out um you know those linebackers are looking a bit slow but maybe they'll make a move and um the, the secondary is going to bounce back it's a Bill Belichick coach defense they're going to be fine what I was happy to see is that this offense played well they played well under pressure and they didn't just stick to conservative play calling when they had to make plays they were able to make them obviously not on the one yard line at the end but in order to keep themselves in the game they made the plays they needed to make that said a lot to me absolutely and I think that this offense is better equipped than the ones we've seen in recent years to be able to make up for the miscomings of that of that defense You know, in recent years, if the defense wasn't having a great night, the offense wasn't able to keep up. And because of that, the games were kind of slip away. Obviously, we saw that in Houston last year when uh, on a Sunday night, I'm pretty sure, Saturday night, something like that. But, um, you know, I kind of want to switch paces just a little bit and talk a bit more about the Seattle Seahawks team. Obviously, we kind of went through the New England Patriots. And I'm just going to give a quick little uh, recap since we're, um, you know, kind of nearing into the 45-minute mark on this podcast as we want to make it really, you know, get into the Jags Dolphins game soon come. But this Seattle offense is, was, you know, if not on par with the Patriots, just, they were spectacular. Obviously Russell Wilson threw five touchdown passes of which all went to a different player. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, David Moore, who I might add, had a spectacular grab on the sideline. That was phenomenal. Hitting the pylon, which doesn't count as you as being out of bounds. Who would have thought? Um, I, I honestly thought he was out because he hit the pylon. I didn't realize, like, I didn't put that together just because it was a kind yeah. of a – I've never seen it before. It was so bang-bang that yeah. you weren't sure at the time. Yeah, I've never seen it you, before. You think players when – you know, you'll see players dive toward the goal line and they'll try to hit the pylon with the ball because the yeah. pylon counts. It's inbound. Yeah. So but it was I, a very Yeah, I get that. I always thought right. – I just – it was just weird because of, uh, you know, what – I've seen them try to reach out for the pylon things, right. but and it's in that sense, it was just kind of like a what just yeah. happened. But yeah, right. spectacular catch by him. Chris Carson had one, and then my boy Freddie Swain out of the yep. University of Florida had one. I who knew you I, were excited who about I that have one. been huge on since getting into the NFL because of him being on the Seattle Seahawks team, and he showcased his talents, and you know, kind of made me you know feel a little good because I was like, that's my guy right there. But um, they, they're just this Seattle offense. Throwing the football is going to be great. And obviously their defense with Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams leading the charge are obviously going to be yep. a solid unit. You know, I just can't even start to really put together what we saw because we're seeing a Russell Wilson who we really never seen before. And that's saying something because Russell Wilson has been spectacular for years, but he's starting to not only put together the performances that he's put together before, but they're finally starting to just let Russell be Russell in Seattle. They're right. starting to let right. him 
throw the football. You know, Chris Carson rushed 17 times for 72 yards, but that's because they were up most of the game. You know, they outscored the Patriots 14-3 in the third quarter. And because of that, it started to look as if, you know, they were starting to pull away. So they started to hand the ball off. Everything started to occur there. And Russell Wilson wasn't slinging it 44 times like Cam Newton. So what would his stat line have been if they weren't in that situation we might not know, but I guarantee you it would have looked even better than the one yeah, it already oh, does. For sure. And so here's the thing with Russell Wilson. Um, nine touchdowns on the year, 11 incompletions. Yeah, like, he's been spectacular. He, he's going to win the MVP, I have no doubt in my mind. He, he should. Gonna put to, he's going to put together – look, when he comes out, so he might not throw four or five touchdowns against the Cowboys Saturday. Eventually that's going to run out. But look, he's going to come out on Sunday against the Seahawks, and I'm sure we'll talk about this game when we get back on the pod on Friday, but I'm just going to say it right now. We're going to see another you know, 25 of 33 for 330 yards and three touchdowns type performance from Russ on Sunday. Yeah. Um, you know, It's just a matter of how, how can this Cowboys offense keep up. I mean, you, you got to imagine you know, the Seahawks defense didn't look great. Edelman had his way with Jamal Adams for the most part, I feel like. So you know, m- maybe Dallas is able to keep up, but man, I it's – Russell Wilson is looking very, very good early, and it, it's scary to see. Yeah, and I think uh, through two weeks on the season, obviously it's still early, and we've seen quarterbacks come out and put together hot early seasons. Last year we saw it with Drew Brees. Uh, right. But if Russell continues doing what he's doing, we're going to have a unanimous MVP on our hands. There's not going to be another person in the NFL that puts together the campaign of Russell Wilson. If he can keep anywhere near what he has done through two weeks on the season. 11 incompletions and nine touchdowns is huge. That is the – I don't think you can get a more impressive stat line together than that right now. It doesn't get better than that right now. And obviously, Aaron Rodgers had a very good start to the season. Uh, I'm trying to think of other quarterbacks, really. None none off – you know, even Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's been okay to start the season. He hasn't been – I mean, we're going to get into that game in a second. He had a phenomenal throw to Tyree Kill for a touchdown. But, you know, just in terms of the numbers, uh, you know, no one has been doing it better than Rodgers and Russell Wilson to start the season. And even that gap. So I feel like as of right now, you're ranking quarterbacks. It goes it goes Wilson at one and then a big gap and then not not a big gap, but. In terms of a play, th- in gap. terms of play right. this year, I think we can right. put a big yeah. gap. But in terms yeah. of overall talent, no, because we all know that Patrick yeah. Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson are all atop the league. But in terms of right. the play- players that have put together those performances, heck yes, heck yes. Yeah. So right now it goes uh, honestly to me. Right now it's Russell and then everyone else. Yeah, he, he's I agree. In a league of his own. I agree. Right now. He he is so playing we'll, out of his mind. We'll, We'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens when he runs into some of these divisional opponents and, you know, what happens when he has to play this Niners defense and, uh, you know, when he has to go up against, uh, you know, these Sean McVay coach Rams. But, you know, um, it, it as of right now, it's you know, it's just looking so good for the Seahawks team. And I was saying it earlier, we were looking at their schedule. And I, I was struggling to see where the loss came on the schedule. Yeah. And yeah, uh, th- through two weeks, you know, and- their, their their defense might not be firing on all cylinders right now, but if their offense is doing this, I mean, I'm, I still struggle to see who beats them. I'm yeah. sure I struggle to see who comes up with them. We, and the fact that the Patriots almost did it just it just makes me wonder, you know, how like what now, now ask what is the Patriots ceiling? Are you know are they even going to miss a beat? You know, are yeah. they, are 
can they go can can they turn right back around and put up another 12 win season if they're playing this well on offense and their defense gets it figured out i certainly think so i mean i just want to touch on the patriots real quick we got the raiders coming up this week you know we're going to talk about the raiders in a sec i think the raiders look very good but i think we're going to beat the raiders pretty handily on sunday yeah i think we're going to lose to the chiefs then we got the broncos who might not have drew Locke. we get a bye week and then we have the 49ers who might not have jimmy garoppolo so um it's it's there the opportunity for the patriots to really get rolling is there we just have to you know we have to see if it's a matter of this offense is actually pretty darn good or seattle's defense just struggled a bit i i think i think it's definitely more of the patriots offense is good because some of these throws that newton was making man i i just i was impressed i was very impressed Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned how the Patriots are going to go in next week and play against the Las Vegas Raiders. So I think it's a good time to transition into talking about the Las Vegas Raiders and the New Orleans Saints. Because this game was one that not only showed that the Raiders are for real, but the Saints might not be as good as we have expected them to be. And Drew Brees might have taken a step back in the offseason. Right. And I think that's a good place to start. Let's talk about Drew Brees because, um, and don't, don't let the stat line fool you. He was 26 of 38 for 312 yards, a touchdown and a pick 91.1 passer rating. Yeah. 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 Guy didn't throw the ball over 20 yards more than one time. I don't think, you know, it was a lot of check down stuff to Camara and guys like that, but it really did. The arm strength looked absent from Brees. I was really struggling to see, where it was and without Michael Thomas there this offense just looked flat yeah it did absolutely so I think uh I think Drew Brees just wasn't able to put some of the zip down the field that we've seen from him at times right and I mean that interception he threw looked lousy right before yeah yeah it it was it was a you know he just wasn't able to be the same Drew Brees that we expect him to be and I think that's uh that's a problem for a team that really should be atop the league uh in terms of win percentage, that loss, obviously, to a gritty Vegas team, uh, a a team in the Raiders who are getting it done with Josh Jacobs and letting Derek Carr, you know, uh, the crazy thing to me is Derek Carr threw the ball 38 times and Josh Jacobs ran the ball 27 times. So their defense is just putting teams... Yeah, they're just... Their defense is getting teams off the field, and then they're splitting 50-50 almost. Well, not exact. Well, yeah, because the team ran the ball 35 times overall. So they're almost right on that 50-50 mark. And because of that, they're winning games. And I think that's something that John Gruden has stressed since coming in as as the coach of this Raiders team. And Josh Jacobs... Obviously, he didn't have a performance that we're accustomed to, but he is one of the best backs right. in but football. But even then, 27 carries, 88 yards, you're eating clock. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and 28, of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he still had three, and he also had three receptions for 17 yards. So, like, right. he is getting the exactly. football. They had him touch it 30 times. I, I think, yeah. you know, I'm going to go back on my tangent from earlier about the Vikings. They need to watch a Raiders game. They need to look right. at what the Raiders are doing and say, I want to copy that because that's the way to win football games when you have a talented yep. back like Josh Jacobs and a game manager at quarterback like Derek Carr. Yep. And you look at who Derek Carr went to in the passing game. 
Darren Waller with 12 catches for 105 yards. They have an absolute speedster at tight end. I even think Belichick, when asked about Waller, was like, well, we haven't seen anything like that at the tight end position in, in a very long time. I think Waller is kind of starting to turn some heads here at tight end, especially after a 12 reception performance like he had on Monday night. He was targeted 16 times. And, um, you know, that's just that's the type of guy you want to have. Um, you know, it, Henry Ruggs only had one catch for four yards and. Uh, he almost had a almost right. had a dot for a touchdown too, though. Yep. He had that, and then you know Derek Carr just has to get more accustomed right. to being able to give it to the speedster and put it right. in the bread basket. All right. So I think I think we're still waiting to. I, th- I think this Raiders wide receiver core still has some development to do. It was good to see a guy like Zay Jones catch a touchdown. That was a name I certainly haven't heard in a game in a while. But yeah. Aguilar, after having a you know what seemed to be a solid week one, only had one catch for 19 yards. So the fact that Carr was still able to to muster 28 completions and 284 yards and three touchdowns with. Nelson Aguilar, Zay Jones, and Henry Ruggs only having one catch each is pretty darn impressive. So that ball distribution from Carr was, Carr was, you know, it, it was a really good thing to see from that game. It just shows that there are multiple guys that he has on that team that he can go to and that he trusts. So, it, you know, it, it was definitely kind of a fresh look to see this Raiders team click on offense. And for the second week in a row, they put up 34 points. And I don't think either of us were expecting them to be one of the last remaining undefeated teams in the league through two weeks absolutely not but I'm glad they are because I love watching this Raiders team I I do and because it because it is so they're so efficient in almost everything they do obviously Derek Carr is not a world beater he's not going to go out and put up Russell Wilson type stat lines obviously we talked about earlier Russell Wilson the league of his own but you know that's just my comparison since he's on my mind um but just in general this this Vegas team is rolling through two weeks. Obviously, um, you know, yeah. Derek Carr actually targeted. So he had 38 passing attempts. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming based off ESPN stat lines that four of them were throwaways because there's only 34 targets listed, 16 yeah. of which went to Darren Waller. The others were distributed. Yeah. The most the other, another person got was three, which was yep. Hunter Rimfro and Josh Jacobs, who each caught all of their balls. So I just think Henry that Ruggs had three. Henry, Henry Ruggs. Sorry. Sorry. I, I yeah. just glanced over him, but you know, yeah. he was able to get it to guys like Darren Waller, Brian Edwards, who I saw him catch a pretty solid 22 yard, you know, reception down the field. And I was like, okay, there you go, Brian. He's a guy out of South Carolina that I've watched in the sec right. for a while. Hunter Renfro. We all know the guy that was at Clemson for 14 years, yep. Foster Moreau, Nelson Aguilar, who finally learned how to catch again this year, Josh Jacobs, Zay Jones, Devonte Booker, Alec Ingold, Henry Ruggs, and Jason so you're telling me he threw it to 11 different guys throughout the night that that's That's great that that's what you want from a team that doesn't have a star guy outside of their tight end to catching the football for them yeah no certainly and that when i was looking through this salad that was the first thing i noticed is man Carr. you know he he really spread the ball out you know we were saying the same thing about uh dak prescott in that cowboys game and you know even looking at at uh you know in that in that Seahawks Patriots game, that both QBs were kind of spreading the ball out a little bit. It looks like eight different receivers were targeted. So, you know, it, kind of just looking at all the stat lines this week, when you know the more guys you target, the better chance you give your team of winning. I feel like, and the the better chance you give your team of scoring points. So, I'm really interested to see, especially looking forward to next week's Raiders Patriots game. Kind of, you know, how the Raiders are going to come back out and uh, handle that ball distribution against a ball hawking Patriots secondary because 
uh, you know, up to this point in his career and his two games against the Patriots, Derek Carr has not looked very good against the Patriots. So I'm kind of interested to see what the offensive game plan will be next week. And, you know, while Chris Carson had a solid game running against the Patriots, it'll be interesting to see what they do against Josh Jacobs. But I am, I am a little worried about that game just because of how good the Raiders looked against the saints. And obviously how we both feel about the saints and whatnot. But um, you know, the, the Raiders defense also hasn't been world beating. I mean, they, they did give up 30 points to Carolina and yeah. uh, you know, despite Drew Brees looking like a noodle arm, the saints were still able to muster some points. So I, I think, I think, it, I think, I think we're going to see a shootout in Foxborough next week, yeah. but as of right now, there's no reason to believe that the Raiders are not going to put up points this season, unless Carr starts to regress. It all see it all stands on Derek Carr, you know, it, and it's just how effective can Derek Carr be? And like you said, he's a game manager, and he's got to be able to manage these situations properly. And I mean, you you look at this game. I mean, they they, they got a pick right before halftime. They were able to turn it into points, and uh, you know, the the defense was able to get New Orleans off the field and. Uh, Carr was taking advantage of it on offense. He he played a very good game. I, I got you know I haven't seen many Derek Carr games, especially since that 2016 season when they were the talk of the league. But you Before know, got hurt f- from what I was thinking. Like you know, this is the best I've seen Carr play in a while. Yeah, and at least this uh, week, he he played good this week. I don't I don't think right. he's a, I I still am not sold on Derek Carr. I think he's been the most mediocre quarterback we have right. seen start in the NFL for quite some time. But um yeah. It, uh, he's just been hanging around. Yeah, yeah, he's he's he can I mean, he's stayed in, you know, out of trouble enough to be like, okay, we need to get rid of this guy, but he just hasn't taken that step we need to see him to take and I think this is a very good start to if he's going to take that step, it needs to right. be this season. I think this was a good game for him to it, be able to take that next step. Yeah. And if he can put together a good performance against the Patriots next week and, you know, maybe it comes down to the end and he throws like a go ahead touchdown or something, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to see some talk with this Raiders team start to heat up and, you know, the, the chiefs have the Ravens Monday nights. So it's not guaranteed that the chiefs win and Denver's two and O and, LA is one and one with a game against the Panthers coming up. So Denver's zero and two, I thought. Did I say 0-2? What did I say? You said 2-0. I didn't say 0-2. We wish they were 2-0. They're they're obviously 0-2. They They should be. They've been. You know, the the Raiders are in a position where if they can muster out a win against New England, not only are they going to have two quality wins back-to-back weeks, but they're going to find themselves sitting atop the AFC West uh, as early as week three, assuming Kansas City loses to Baltimore, that's something none of us were expecting. I mean, what did we predict this this team to go like maybe ten or something? Not, maybe. I mean, yeah. I know for I know for a fact this was a game that we were standing back and saying, "Man, New Orleans got this one in the bag," and that yep. that really wasn't the case. No, it was not. And I think uh, far from it, actually. Yeah, and I think you know you mentioned how the Raiders' defense at, at times has looked suspect. But I'm really liking the mixture of youth and uh, you know veteran presence within that Raiders secondary. Right. I'm I'm very big on Jonathan Abram at safety. I think he is one of the most hardest hitting, high intensity players that we've seen in the NFL since Brian Dawkins. I, I'm going. I think that he Boy. is that dude, and I think that we're gonna see a lot more of him as um, you know he 
recovers from an injury last season. Uh, I, I, I'm liking what Abram is bringing to this Raiders secondary. He is just a he flies around the right. field. He plays ninety to nothing at all times, and he is just spectacular in that back end. I think Dar- Damon Arnett is another guy that had a pretty solid um, game. Right. This past you, week. you look at this Raiders secondary last year. I mean, they struggled to get turnovers. They struggled to get interceptions. Here they are already. They got one off of Drew Brees. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's already just subtle, but at the same time, big signs of improvements from this Raiders team. Like I said, you know, they're going to be a team to watch. And, um, you know, my Patriots have their hands full on Sunday. Yeah, for sure. John, John, John Gruden versus Bill Belichick. It'll be fun. Absolutely. So uh, as we have just went over the hour mark here at Sunshine State Takes, let's get into the meat of this show. I know we took a, well, not really the meat, more like a part two. As we move our focus into what is now going to be week three, Matt and I want to discuss your, well, for most of our listeners, your Jacksonville Jaguars really is going to be what for y'all is tonight facing off against the Miami Dolphins. So what do we have to say about this matchup? We're going to kind of preview it. So Matt, what are you expecting to see from the Jaguars and Dolphins as we go in to Thursday night football? I'll tell you right now what I'm expecting. I'm expecting the Jaguars to win and I'm expecting them to win by more than 20. Um, and I'll, I'll give, I'll give you a, a couple reasons why, uh, Number one, Josh Allen, if I don't know if you know this, is currently leading the league in passing yards right now. Dude, I'm sorry. I keep having ads pop up on my computer. I don't know if the mic's going to catch that or not. It doesn't. But, they um, don't. So anyways, J- J- Josh Allen is leading the league in, in recept- or, or passing yards right now. And a big reason for that is because against this very Miami defense this past Sunday, he threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. And you look at what Minshew has done in his first two games, week one against the Colts, 19 to 20 for 173 yards, three touchdowns week two versus Tennessee, 30 of 45. I don't know how many, I don't know exactly how many yards he had. I know it was upwards of 300 and he had three, three pretty good looking touchdowns and two picks, you know, Clowney was offsides on the, on the the game losing pick. So, uh, you know, you can, you can argue that, but uh, you know, in, even Cam Newton week one, 15 to 19 for 155 passing yards on that Dolphins defense. So a big reason I think the Jags are going to win this game by a lot is because QBs can throw on this defense and you are seeing a, now what is a pass first offense from the Jags. They're going to, they're going to go and they're going to, they're going to punch this Dolphins defense in the throat. I think, I think they're going to have a good time from start to finish. There's going to be a lot of high fiving, a lot of chest bumping, a lot of hugging, a lot, a lot of uh, Dolphins fans crying, and I think we're going to see James Robinson get some touches, and he's going to look good again. He looked very good on Sunday. Yeah, 16-102 you know, and a touchdown. He, he built upon what he did in week one, and uh, I I just I, I, I see this all going the Dolphins' way. I mean, I, I think the, the, the Dolphins have struggled. I think, Did I just say the Dolphins' way? I, if I did, I wouldn't say the Jaguars. It, it's going to go the Jaguars' way. Uh, we saw – we saw Fitzpatrick throw three interceptions and have a putrid performance against New England week one. I don't know exactly what his stats were against Buffalo. I mean, I know they put up 28 points, but uh, it, they were playing catch up most of the time. I know they had a lead a little late. Um, so he was 31 of 47 for 328 yards and two touchdowns. But at the same time, that that's kind of, 
if you look at Fitzpatrick's week one performance versus week two performance, it's inconsistent. I mean, that, that's what it is. He goes from three picks in week one to 328 yards and two touchdowns in week two. So it's kind of, you know, what Fitzpatrick are we going to get on Thursday? And, and that uh, that's a big factor. I, I think either way, Jacksonville is going to win this game. The factor that makes it whether or not it's going to be a close game is what, what, what Ryan Fitzpatrick are we going to get? If we get the Ryan Fitzpatrick that went into Foxborough last year and knocked off the Patriots, then the Jags are going to win by 10. <laughs> if we get the Fitzpatrick that threw three picks against the Patriots in week one, then the Jags are going to win by 20 plus. I think that so this on. matchup is very well suited for the Jaguars to get to two and one. I think that the yeah. Dolphins are just not in the position that I believed for them to be in at this point. Um, you know, obviously, me and you have been high on the Dolphins, not in the same regard as we were with the Lions or the Broncos or the Vikings, but right. we have been high on the Dolphins in terms of a team that it looks as if they could get to that next level after this season because of, you know, the pieces that they put together through via the draft via free agency right. and with what we believe to be a top five coach in the NFL. I think that's, I think we can both. Yeah. Okay. So, um, totally. I, I Brian Flores, I, guy, Brian, I dude, I love Brian Flores, but, um, you know, we just have a Jaguars team that has been so dominant offensively with Gardner Minshew slinging the ball all over the yard. He's thrown for uh, last week. He threw for three thirty five, um, three thirty seven, three thirty nine. 339. I okay. knew it was a, I knew it was an odd. I just couldn't put it together. He threw for 339, you know, three touchdowns, had a two interceptions, one of which was a very bad pass. The other one bad at the line, you know, kind of, it, it was, you know, it happens while it shouldn't have because Jadavion Clowney was off sides, you know, it's whatever uh, you, you move on. But I just think that this Jaguars team has already surpassed the expectations of many throughout the NFL. Yeah, I mean, totally. going into the year, the Jaguars not favored in one matchup. In week three, they're favored against a Dolphins team by three points. And I think that, you and know. And this is what I'm saying, man. This is a primetime game. This is Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the call. The whole country seeing this game. This is a statement game for the Jaguars. If they win this game and they win it big, a lot of heads are going to be turned. But if they if they come out and Minshew, you know, you know, only completes like fifty percent of his passes for one hundred ninety eight and a touchdown and a pick, and they win like sixteen to thirteen, you know, people are going to be like, okay, well, you know, they they can muscle out a game, but they didn't look that good. They have the opportunity to really turn some heads in the country if they can come out and put together a dominant performance because you've been you know obviously if if you're not someone that doesn't if you're someone that doesn't live in jacksonville and you're really just keeping up with the jags when the nfl twitter posts about them whatever you're probably just glancing at it thinking okay well it's the jags but you're gonna get to see them this thursday night and you're gonna get to see that Minshew is legitimate you're gonna get to see that they've got an up-and-coming receiving core with guys like chark already proven and guys like LaVisca Chanel already looking like they can be a force in this league. You're going to see that James Robinson's got a chip on his shoulder and that he's out there uh, looking to muster up all the yards that he can. And this Jags offensive line is looking a bit better. And, you know, it really stands on the defense. I, I think you're going to see the Dolphins put up some points, but ultimately this Jags offense is going to put on a show on Thursday night. They're going to look good. And Joe Buck is going to be there to call it in his monotone voice <laughs> so hopefully we can make him excited congrats <laughs> to joe buck on making the hall of fame by the way yeah definitely a big accomplishment congrats. uh i'll see you soon joe 
Uh, just kidding. <laughs> but anyways, um, what, what, what was that? What was that one call against the uh, that that was circulating on Twitter when they announced him into the Hall of Fame? The one against the Bucks, where it was like Mitchell, Mitchell, <laughs> Mitchell. The, I think my favorite. I think my favorite Joe Buck call is the Saquon Barkley run, where he's like Saquon Barkley, incredible, <laughs> incredible, incredible, down to the five. <laughs> or he, he just. I oh I will say gosh. like Joe Buck has improved as an announcer. I hate him in baseball. I despise him in baseball. I think when it comes to baseball, he can eat a brick. But um <laughs> when it comes to football and you know, he started like he, I think he botched the helmet catch, you know, like Manning rolls out, throws it up and it's caught by Tyree, you know, like I could fall asleep during that. But also, you know, I think he really rebounded with the Minneapolis miracle and whatnot. So yeah. he, he's improved in football and it's come to the point where, you know, if he's calling my, if he's calling my team, then I'm, I look forward to it, but there are still better announcers. I, I wouldn't say he's undeserving of the hall of fame, but man, he's, he's had some, he's had some uh, monotone calls to say the least. Yeah. But to get, uh, obviously to get back on track, um, I, I just want to, you know, you mentioned LaVisca that, that, Chenault. That was, our, that, that was our Thursday night announcer preview. Now, yeah. now back, to, <laughs> yeah, now back yeah. to the game preview. Now back to regular, <laughs> regular scheduled programming. Um, yeah. So, you know, you mentioned a guy in LaVisca Chenault who has been a – I don't even know what to categorize him as. Obviously, he's listed at wide receiver, but he – you know, you can put him in the backfield and he'll run like a He reminds back. me of a Cordero Patterson, he, but with a higher ceiling. He No, the dude is special because he yeah. not only can play wide receiver and is built like a wide receiver, he runs like a running back. Obviously, right. we see a lot of wide receivers get put in the backfield from time to time, but they always want to bounce it outside. This dude's willing to cut through the middle and play, yeah. you know, in, in a similar fashion of right. some of the, you know a running back in the NFL and I just think that it's spectacular but really the offense is not one thing I'm concerned about obviously I think the offense is going to do their thing defensively I think the Jaguars have struggled this year to be able to limit points getting put on the board or they've been they've had that bim but don't break mentality obviously Indianapolis had a multitude of you know botched scoring opportunities in that Jacksonville game which ultimately led to to Jacksonville winning that ball game 27 to 20 but we just have Jacksonville just has a way of you know fixing one issue but making another one become more prominent and i think yeah. that's what happened that is what has happened with this Jaguars team obviously in this case in this case they drafted some wide receivers and added to the offense but they traded away all their big name defensive players. Yes, yes. And then, <laughs> yes, that is 100% true. Um, but I just want to. So, I think the biggest concern with Jacksonville, um, obviously, they have CJ Henderson and they have yeah. Miles Jack and Joe Schober. I think those are the highlights of this defense. Obviously, CJ Henderson's been one of the best rookies in the NFL this season. Miles Jack is rebounding after a few down years and he's because they somebody. moved him back yeah. to where he's supposed so, to be. Exactly. Joe, that Joe Schobert addition has really helped out. Absolutely. I was just about to say that. I think that just him going back to that weak side spot, that off ball linebacker spot is huge for him. I think Joe Schobert has been huge in being able to be that leader of the defense. And I think they've fixed what we saw last year is the worst run game in the NFL. A uh, run defense. Uh, yeah, the worst defense against the run in the NFL. But it just I mean, so happens that we're seeing a defense that now 
has the inability to stop the pass right. because we have you know Jacksonville has three unproven really not subpar three players in the secondary and Josh Jones um really Andrew Winger and uh because of the absence of Gerard Wilson and with Trey Herndon Herndon who played last year and was formidable is just I, I he has just not been great this season but I don't right. think we have to put the blame a hundred percent on those people because Jaguars pass rush has been non-existent which has been the staple of the Jaguars for the past few years Saxonville is no more they have one through two weeks and we're seeing a team that with Josh Allen and Clavon Chase on they're not being able to put together the performances we'd expect of players of their caliber. Obviously, Chason right. hasn't seen the field as much as Allen. Allen struggled with some calf injuries. But at the same time, they have to put together a pass rush because all of these, you know, uh, sometimes the quarterback's sitting in the pocket for four or five seconds. In the NFL, that is way too much time for right. receivers to create separation or really just quarterbacks to be, quarter, you know, do what they do and you know, scheme people open or roll out of the pocket and get someone else open. I just think that we've seen so many uh, lack of, we've seen a lack of pressure because of getting rid of a guy like Calais Campbell on the quarterback. So it's just, it, it's been tough for Jacksonville. And I think if they really want to make this a 20 plus win or a 20 plus point win, we're going to need to see some more uh, pass rush against a team like Miami so that they can build off of that performance to be able to do it against right. some higher caliber teams in the NFL. Right. And I mean, I, I guess, I guess it's kind of interesting, interesting to see how this Miami wide receiver core matches up with this Jaguar secondary because Devonte Parker is obviously the guy you have to take away, yeah. but so CJ has are, him. Right. And he's been limited in practice. So it's, it's kind of intriguing as to, what Devontae Parker are we going to get on Thursday? Are we going to get the Devontae Parker that cooked uh, Gilmore in week 17 of last year? Or are we going to get a, uh, you know, a laid back Devontae Parker that, um, you know, a guy like CJ Henderson in his third career start will be able to handle. I think we're going to see more of the second Devontae Parker. And then you have guys like, uh, you know, Preston Williams and, uh, you know, while, while he's a solid wide receiver, he's not a big name. Will he be able to make some plays on a weak Jaguar secondary? Maybe. Possibly. Possibly, but, you know, he's not a big name. I'm sure that they can figure him out. And Mike Giusecki's a guy I'm, I'm a little interested to see how they handle yeah. because he is a guy who looked really good last week, and he's a guy who I think is going to start taking some serious strides soon. He might very well be the best tight end in that AFC East division. Uh, and he's going to continue to start making some more strides and maybe get his name heard more amongst that as well. Tomorrow night, or tonight, tomorrow night, based on when you're listening, is a very big night for Mike Giusecki in terms of, uh, you know, making his performance known to the nation and what he can do. I think that'll be interesting to see how the Jaguars take care of that one. But, you know, on the Dolphins' defense side as well, I mean, there is a lot to handle in this Jaguars receiving core. I mean, you're probably going to see Byron Jones take on DJ Chark. But if Chark plays, he's been if listed Chark as plays, questionable. Right. Yeah. I know Byron Jones has been dealing with some injury issues as well. DJ yeah. Chark better plays I have in one of my fantasy leagues. So <laughs> I, I need him with all the guys that have already gone down on my team, yeah. Saquon and Moster, and it's just been yeah. tough. I thought in, Oof. Yeah. it's not – it's been bad for injuries, but definitely before you we'll get see. into their defense, can I quote, can I talk about something real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so obviously you mentioned Gasecki as, you know, a guy that could 
is starting to look as if he can be one of the best uh, AFC East tight end. Um, and I think that's something where a, a facet of the game Jacksonville struggled in, especially last week. Obviously, Jonu Smith had two touchdowns on, I'm pretty sure it's 85 receiving. Um, and four, it was four yeah. receptions, 85, and two touchdowns, if I recall correctly. So, you know, Jonu Smith was just able to carve apart the Jacksonville defense and really led – was a big reason why Tennessee was able to pull out that victory. And, right. you know, obviously, Gasecki, I don't think, I think Jonu Smith is very, is criminally underrated um, as a tight end. But I, and I don't, I'm not ready to put Gasecki in that same um, category, but I do think he is emerging as one of the better tight ends. I think it's a competition between him and uh, Devin Knox in that, uh, for the Buffalo, Buffalo Bills as the best tight end in that division. But right. uh, I definitely like to would like to see Jacksonville kind of play Joe Schobert a bit more um, as a coverage man against that tight end because Schobert is a guy that kind of came to Jacksonville and he was praised for his coverage skills. Right. So. Right. I, I definitely agree with that. And if, if, they, if they can do that, they might have some better luck against tight ends. I'll tell you, part of the reason I think I did so well against you in fantasy is because I was able to make that Kittle replacement yeah. on the spot and yeah. bring in Jonu Smith. So I saw that, 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 and I was like, oh, what? A, like that's not good. Because I knew before the game like they were going to exploit the tight end. And so I was looking yeah. at it, and I was like, that is that was a really good pickup. Yeah, I, I, I thought about I thought about doing it too. Like I thought about being like, all right, I'm gonna go get Johnny Smith because I know Jacksonville hasn't doesn't have it figured out for tight ends yet. Yeah. Um, because of what you know, obviously Indy was able to really do what they wanted until they got down into the red zone in week one. Um, I just wasn't willing to pull the trigger because I was like, all right, I have Hayden Hurst and uh, you know Cook. I was like, I'm fine. I can just really just rely on those guys. I should have dropped Cook and picked up Smith, and I shoot myself yeah. in the foot for it. Um, but you know, it is what it is, you, you know, congratulations on your dub. Yep. Um, I'll take it. I will take it. Um, you know, you, I, I've for the second week in a row, I've played the highest scorer in our league. So Owen two is looking pretty great. Um, yeah. hey, it's it, all good. It's all and good. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it's I will, good. uh, I'm, I'm climbing back, you know, Owen two still making the playoffs. I'm doing something not a lot of people do. So that's, uh, that's what we're looking It's easier to do it in fantasy than <laughs> definitely, in the definitely. actual NFL. So yeah. You just have we'll to have see. some players go your way. You know, right. Fantasy is so difficult to predict. It's luck. It's really it's just luck. It's so much luck. It's, it's can you get the right guy on the right week? Exactly. You know, it's basically just banking on the other guys. Are you, wi- are you willing to take a risk that a lot of people are not willing to take, and will it pay right. off for you? That's really what yep. fantasy is. All right, like uh, I was uh, very impressed with Nikhil Harry's performance on Sunday, and not not our league, but in the other league I'm in, I actually drafted Nikhil, then cut him for Scotty Miller. Nikhil Harry is now back on my team and starting this week because after seeing how much Newton trusted him, and for any of you guys out there, I think it would be good if we start giving a little bit of fantasy advice. I'm saying go after Nikhil Harry. Because you see the way Newton trusted him on Sunday, especially if you're in a PPR league, you know, he had eight catches on Sunday night. That's already that's already eight points right there that you're getting. Plus factor in the yards and any touchdowns that he may have. Um, and, you know, now that he's actually playing with a QB that trusts him, keep an eye on the Keel Harry, guys. Keep an eye on the Keel Harry. But I want to get back to this Dolphins-Jags game because one thing I want to talk about and we'll – the thing that I think is really going to help the Jags in this game, especially on the defensive side is, you know, and you talked about it, the Jags run defense now looks good. They look good against Derrick Henry. I mean, 
uh, you know, Henry didn't have a 99 yard touchdown run where he absolutely embarrassed Jaguars defenders family. So in regards to that, the Jaguars won. Um, CJ Henderson Dolphin, was able to take him down on like boys. Right. So that's what I was seeing. I, I was, uh, I, I was talking about that with a kid in one of my classes at UNF. We were talking about the Jags game. I'm like, look, like CJ Henderson's going to be a stud. He that was, was his I biggest saw, knock. I saw too. him. Right. I saw him tackle. take down Derrick Henry and I was thinking, wow, like the Jags have a guy here. Yeah. So, and my thing with that is this Dolphins running game, while they added big names and Fitzpatrick certainly won't lead that team them. in rushing yards this year, they, they, they have big names. They, you know, they have guys like Jordan Howard and Matt Breida. They're big names, but they're not big producers. And so I think the Jags are going to succeed against the run again, and they're going to be able to make this Miami Dolphins offense one-dimensional. Yep. And, you know, it's just not the biggest plethora of targets for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, it's yep. a matter of what, what you know, if, if C.J. Henderson does a good job on Devontae Parker, I think the Jags are going to have a pretty good defensive showing just because I, I think they're going to be able to turn this Dolphins offense one-dimensional, and from there they're going to succeed because it's going to be a 37-year-old Fitzpatrick who is wildly inconsistent uh, with his best target covered up. So, and on the other side, the Jags are going to be able to score points. So, I, I'm really liking the Jags in this game. I really yeah. Do. No, and you know you're going to see a Dolphins team that is wildly different from a Titans team. Obviously, Jacksonville last week they had to play the run because it doesn't matter how many times they stop Derrick Henry, there's always the possibility of him popping off. The same cannot be said for Jordan Howard or Matt Breida. Yes. Can they get a, you know, 20-yard run here or there? Possibly. Derrick Henry, on the other hand, can take what should be a 20-yard run and can make it an 80-yard run for a touchdown. Bulldozing yep. Titans or Jaguars players in, on the on the way. So I think, you know, a mixture of Jaguars keying in on that Derrick on Derrick Henry and, you know, not great performance from the pass rusher secondary resulted in what we saw last week in, t- in Tennessee. I don't think the same can be said about the teal out this Thursday night. Well, tonight in Jacksonville. The teal out, man. And we were talking about it earlier. Those painted end zones. I'm so high. They're beautiful. I'm so high. We were talking about it. You don't know how long I've been waiting for the Jags to paint their end zone since I've moved here. I moved here in 2013. I've been to a lot of Jags games. I've been looking at the I've been looking at the Jags get their butt kicked in those bland green end zones for so long. <laughs> they are going to come out and they are going to put up some points and it's going to look good with those teal jerseys and those teal end zones. Absolutely. Um, and I I need to fact check it to confirm, but I really do think that the last time the Jags painted their end zones was in a 2012 Thursday night game against the Colts. And I, I was I, I was know. not living I was not living in Florida. I remember watching that game in my house in New York. It was back when I paid little to no attention to the Jags and thinking, man, this team is a laughing stock. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm living here and the Jags are my secondary team. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited tomorrow. I think despite only uh, you know limited attendance, I'm not sure what the exact number is going to be. I think there's still going to be a good atmosphere it's going to be a, a good buzz you know the people that are there are going to be having a good time it's going to be even better that they're going to get to celebrate a win and hey we're going to be two of the people that get to see that win in person tomorrow yes night. sir yes sir we're going to we'll be there we'll uh, take some pics from the stadium we'll give you guys some updates we'll be live on the scene and it's, it's going to be some good stuff we're yeah, if you guys see really us looking- you know uh, as we are celebrities um if you guys uh, we're <laughs> open for pictures obviously we're trying we gotta- we're trying to get there <laughs> <laughs> trying to get there. We'll uh 
we're trying our best. We're always yeah, open for, sure. for pictures mean, for our fans. You, to, know, you, you guys hey, can walk hey. up to us. Just keep your masks on. Hey, yeah, facts. We don't want to get sick. Uh, <laughs> section 236 if you really want to come see us. But, uh, you know, that's just if you want to come see us. Yeah, you know? yeah. Just no, for sure. No hard, no hard feelings if you don't, no, but no. 236. If, we find also, out you'll, if you find <laughs> out you went to the Jags game and listened to the show you, and you didn't come visit us, we're we're blocking you from being able to listen anymore. Uh, so. yeah. Yeah, we'll, we're going to hold a grudge until, you know, yeah we squash it so it's all good but no it's good it is it really is good to be back in a stadium again i can it'll definitely be my first live sporting event in uh quite some time i can't think about even the last one i went to before this so it'll uh i guess you could say I, the same about me as well i mean i watched right. florida state but at the same time uh, do they you know We've seen what they, they put count? on the. We've seen what they put on the field recently. So do they count? I wonder what <laughs> Miami's gonna do to them on Saturday night. Oh Ooh, my goodness! Oh boy, we'll see. It could be bad. We'll see. I'm I'm really feeling for Florida State. I want them to get it figured out, but it, I don't even think is Norvell gonna be on the sideline. I don't no, think so. No, he's not because he Nor, Norvell tested positive for co- yeah, man, crazy, yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, just to touch on some other things, USF and Notre Dame. That game on Saturday, Notre Dame has some COVID positives, and now USF is. Uh, postpone their game with uh, FAU. So, um, yeah. as, as of right now, it really just looks like uh, UCF and UF are the the only two remaining Florida teams because while, while FSU's there, the, do they count? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I don't know if they count right now. I don't, I don't, so, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it, we'll it's, see. We'll see. But yeah, I'm definitely excited to get back. Um, you know, to watching the Jaguars. I think there's going to be a different type of buzz. You know, I think there's going to be, you know, we have, there's some, there's some hopefuls. And as, uh, you know, I don't know if you follow E. Dilla, as he says, you know, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm drinking the Jacksonville Kool-Aid because they're looking good. They're looking promising. And I think that's going to be huge for when uh, the rest of the season, because I I didn't say it out loud, but they, they string together some wins early on. They're uh they're they're kind of looking as if they could sneak into a seven seed, if they possible. have a shot. And that's the thing. I mean, now we did our AFC South preview way back, but I, I remember even then we were, me, you, and Demetrius were going through through that that schedule. Shout out to Demetrius, by the way. I uh, I think I I think I botched your Twitter username when I was putting the shout out out there. Uh, he, I don't I don't know if I ever ended up like apologizing for that on air, but I'm I'm sorry about that, Demetrius. I, I follow you on Twitter and keep up with your stuff. You're always putting out some good work, but I remember me, you, and Demetrius were going through that schedule, and kind of the consensus was early on in the season there were games to be won. Yes, it was just the back half of that season, and how can they kind of handle that some of that competition because. They're going to have to play teams like Pittsburgh and they're going to have to see Houston again and t- Tennessee again and Cleveland. And, uh, you know, it, it hits the point where it gets tough. Uh, they're going to have to go on the road to Green Bay. They're going to have to go on the road to Minnesota, on the road to Baltimore. A lot of tough games. But, you know, if they can take care of the Dolphins this week and the Bengals, Bengals next, next week, week. Yeah, you know, they can get off to, uh, you know, the Lions. There's a 4-2 and two start there. You know, they got the Chargers. I, You know, honestly, considering how Houston has looked in these first two games. Give me the Jaguars. Uh, you know, honestly, and it's not even that they're, you know, it's not even that Deshaun Watson isn't going to come out and put up points, but it's the mere fact that Houston's given up 33-plus in both their games already, and we know the Jags can score points. No, it's the mere fact so, that Bill O'Brien is an incompetent coach who doesn't belong in right. the NFL anymore. That's also true. So, you know, 
you know, if they if they get it, if they if they have a good convincing win tomorrow against the Dolphins and they get the ball rolling a little bit, I think they go out and beat Cincinnati. They can beat Houston on the road and they can beat Detroit. They go into that bye week four and one, and all all of a sudden, you know, you come out, you play L.A. You know, L.A. is beatable. You got Houston again, but then you run into that stretch of Green Bay, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Minnesota, Tennessee, Baltimore, and it's. You know, it, it just kind of, you know, it's it's scary, but yeah. if this offense can score points and there's no reason why not, you know, we'll see. They could sneak one or two. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, we're coming to an hour and a half mark on tonight's podcast. Well, for y'all, it's this morning's podcast. But, anyways, I know I've said that throughout the show. I'm so lame. But, anyways, it's definitely going to be a great game between the Jaguars yeah. and Dolphins. We were able Excited. to We were able to discuss – uh, some of the week two matchups that we saw and we thought were worth highlighting and join right. us back tomorrow uh, for a Friday preview of this weekend's upcoming right. slate of games. We're going to go through before, before we go. Okay. Because every Jags fan is so big on Minshew. Let's give our listeners a Gardner Minshew stat line prediction and a score prediction. You go first. Oh, Off the dome. oh no. Don't think, uh, don't think into it. Oh, my gosh. Okay, um, I'm saying I think he's going to go uh, 24 for 30. I'm going to go 24 for 34. Okay, I, I think they get up early, okay. so they start running the ball a bit more. Um, I, I'm going to put 284 yards, three touchdowns, and he might throw a pick. Okay. And then I think I'm James Robinson go, has two touchdowns. So, but that's just me. I'm gonna go twenty-three of thirty-one for three hundred twenty-seven and two touchdowns. Wow! And a rushing touchdown. Minshew's gonna run one in. Oh, two. that would be huge. Yeah. So, gotcha. So, I just so. I, I have no idea. I'm really bad at predicting stats. So I just kind of. Yeah. It's it's always fun to do just to see kind of. Uh, how accurate you end up being, but yeah. it, it certainly is hard. You never know on a given, and, and, you know, there's a movie about it any given Sunday, yep. except in this case, a Thursday. Also a score prediction. Who do you, what do you got? Oh, I have the Jaguars. I think they're going to score upwards of 35 points. Um, I, I'm going to say 42 yeah. to about, uh, four, uh I, yeah, I think 40 that, burger. No, no, no. Keep it. Keep it. Yeah. 40 burger on Thursday night. I like it. I'm going to say 42 like to 27. It. I do think Dolphins are able to put up some points, but I think right. I don't think it's a close 27. I think it's a late touchdown 27. All right. I got I got uh I got 41-21. Nice. Gotcha. 41-21. So, a uh, 20 point win. I'm saying, you know, I'm sticking with that. 20 point win. Gotcha. Jack's putting up points. So, Brandon and I both got 40 burgers on Thursday night. Um <sighs> Let's go. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see. We're excited. I, you know, I'm, I'm just man. I'm so hyped to be in a stadium again. I, I'm really looking forward to this. Let's yes, get sir. it underway. Let's yes, get sir. it underway. Before Ooh, we man. get off the Football's air. Back. Before we get off the air, I think we need to get one good Jacksonville Jaguars. Duval. Oh, I like yes, that. Yes, sir. All right, let's, let's go. go Jags. Let's go, let's go Jags. Jags. All right. All right. Well, uh, best thing you saw today, you want to add anything there? Uh, best thing I saw today, I mean, I got a lot of schoolwork done. I got four assignments done today, so I'm feeling pretty good. That's about it. Hold on, you cut out. What'd you say? Up there, did I see anything good? I'm trying to see if I have anything to add. I don't gotcha. really think so. Um, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I got some homework done today, so yeah, yeah it's, it's always good to to be ahead of the schedule um but yeah 
I, I think I think the momentum of knowing that I'm going to a live NFL game again tomorrow is really carrying me. So definitely, definitely, just trying to make it to that. So it, it's sure. going to be awesome. Absolutely. So, well, well, I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, and sir. We'll, uh, we'll we'll head over to the stadium. We'll we'll have a good time with the boys, Spencer Lee and Brooks Brazo. Shout out to them. They'll be coming along with yes, us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're looking we're looking forward to a forty burger Jags W. Absolutely. You guys have a great night. Thank you for listening to the show, and we'll see you on Friday. We'll see you Friday where we preview week three and recap this hopefully Jags W. Yes, sir. All right. All right. See you. Sounds good.